great to be together again. I want to thank our worship team for leading us. It's really tremendous to have such a talented group of people who can lead us in worship. And uh, we're really grateful and thankful for those people that do that and giving their talents to God like that. So thank you guys very much. A uh, couple of things I want you to be aware of before I get into the message. Next Sunday, we will not be here next Sunday because Simi uh, Moore Park Church, we're going to be out at a park service next Sunday. So we're going to be meeting at Rancho Madera Park at 9.30. We'll have breakfast, 9.30 to 10.30. Then we'll have a, a worship at about 10.30. And then we'll just enjoy some time together afterwards. So please, we won't be here. We'll be at Rancho Madera next Sunday at 9.30. Breakfast, then worship. And then the Sunday after that, we won't even be here because that's the weekend of the family camp. And we're really excited about family camp. That's going to be tremendous. We're going to be up outside of Santa Barbara at Camp Oso, and it's going to be a great time. For those of you who were not able to attend family camp this year, we haven't forgotten about you. That is the same weekend as the annual Oxnard Beach Park worship service. So I want to encourage you, if you're not going to be at family camp, to go to Oxnard Beach Park as uh, our sister congregations from the valley, from Santa Barbara. They're going to be there worshiping God. They know you're coming. And I encourage you to join up with the Santa Barbara group and uh, enjoy a time of worship with them. Of course, you're going to bring your own food for lunch and stuff like that. But uh, that's going to be a great time. If you have any questions about any of that, just go ahead and look on our calendar on our website, seemechurch.org, and all the details are there so you know where to go and, and all that. And then also this week, starting this week on Wednesday, we're going to be changing our midweek routine. We're going to have men uh, meeting only this week on Wednesday night, so we'll have a men's midweek. That's for everyone high school and up. Uh, you're not, you don't have to come if you're in high school, but if you want to come, you're welcome to come and be part of the, the men's midweek devotional. And then the, the next week, it's going to be all the women, and then the week after that, all the men, and we're going to do that for the next couple of months. So hopefully you're up to date now on our schedule. Um, we are in a series entitled uh, Jesus Worth Following. As a church, our mission is to love and live like Jesus. My goal, of course, is to help us become like Jesus, myself included. Last week, we talked about Knowing God's will and knowing God's word. Whenever we deal with a controversial issue, we talked about divorce last week. Whenever uh, an issue like that, a hot button issue comes up, it's always best to first go back to what is God's will, what is his intent, and then what does his word say regarding it. And then lastly, we just need to be very shrewd in how we manage that information when, when, when it comes to us. Today, though, I want to talk about becoming. The idea is that in order to really know something, you have to become something. So there was this man, <clears throat> he was driving, and uh, it was a stormy night, and his car broke down, and he happened to break down right in front of a monastery. So he went up to knocked on the door, and the, the monk came out, and uh, uh, or the abbot, whatever you call him, and, and uh, said, how can I help you? And he said, hey, I, my car broke down, it's a storm, can you help me in any way? And the, the abbot said, absolutely, come on in. Tell you what, we've got a guest room. You can stay the night. One of our monks used to be a mechanic. I'm sure he'll be happy to look at your car. And hopefully by morning, after breakfast, we'll send you on your way and everything will be great. And the guy said, wow, that's incredibly generous. Thank you. And so he spent the night. Well, in the middle of the night, he heard a sound. And it was unlike any sound he had ever heard in his life. 
It was at the same time wonderful and terrifying. It was a sound that he could not get out of his mind. He, he just, he had to know where did that sound come from? So in the morning, after breakfast, he went to the, to the abbot or the head of the monastery and he said, hey, thanks so much for taking care of things and, and, and getting me on my way. But listen, I heard a noise in the middle of the night and I got to know, what, what was that noise? Where did that come from? I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And they said, well, we could tell you, but, but you're not a monk, so we can't tell you. You have to become a monk first before you know what that sound is and where it comes from. So disappointed, the man left. Ten years later, he's driving down the same road, and he breaks down in the same place. Knocks on the door. They remember each other. Same thing. Come on in. We'll take care of your car. You can spend the night. We'll feed you breakfast. You'll be on your way in the morning. And again, that noise happened in the middle of the night. It was a, it was a, I mean, I, he can't even put words on this noise. Again, terrible and wonderful all at the same time. And he was desperate to know the source of that noise. In the morning, he asked the abbot, and the abbot said, like I told you last time, you have to become a monk. I can't tell you, you have to become a monk. So the man leaves. Ten years go by, and he breaks down at the same place again. He knocks on the door. They remember each other. Same story. We'll take care of your car. You can spend the night. And again, he hears the noise. Is that the noise? <laughs> Terrible, terrifying, and wonderful all at the same time. He finally said, enough is enough. He gets up in the morning, he goes straight to the abbot, and he says, you have to tell me. And the, the abbot again said, look, I can't tell you. You have to be a monk in order to find out what the noise is. He said, that's it. I'm, I'm retired now. I've been thinking about this sound for 30 years. All right, fine. I want to become a monk. Make me a monk. And the abbot said, okay, but it's rigorous. You're going to have to live here for six months at least. You're going to have to give up all your worldly possessions. You're going to have to shave your head, wear, wear a monk's outfit, <clears throat> and abide by all our rules. The guy said, absolutely. For, the, for, for finding out what that noise is, I'm totally willing to do that. And so he signed up, and six months went by. And at the end of the six months, he had shaved his head, he gave up all his worldly possessions, he put on the, the monk outfit, and, and they had a big ceremony uh, 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 ordaining him as a monk. And as soon as they said amen, he ran to the abbot and he said, you have to tell me what that noise is, you have to take me to it now. And the abbot said, well, you're a monk, I'll tell you. I'm going to show you, come with me. So they go down to the basement, and in the basement, there's this big old wooden door. And the monk said, behind that door is what you're looking for. And he handed him a set of keys. So he opened up the door, and there was another door. And that door was made of concrete. So he took a key and he opened that door, and there was another door. And that door was made of steel. So he took a key and he opened that door, and there was another door. That door was made of silver. He took a key, he opened the door, and there was another door. And that door was made of gold. He took a key, opened it, and behind that door was another door, but this door was covered in diamonds and emeralds and rubies. It was a beautiful door, and it was the last key on the ring. And so he opened the door, and he stood in awe of what he saw. 
So turn with me over to Matthew, Mark, I'm sorry, chapter 10, <laughs> verse 13. Wait, I'm sorry, do you want to know what was behind the door? I can't tell you, you're not a monk. You know, sometimes we have to become something before we can learn something. So we're going to go, God, in prayer, and we're going to turn over to Mark, Mark, Mark chapter 10. Father, thank you so very much for this time to be together. Thank you for your word. Help it to just really come alive in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place their hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. So Jesus is in an area we call Perea, right there on the map. He's basically right around the Jordan, on the border of Perea and Judea, just above the Dead Sea, right there on the, in, in the Jordan River Valley. Right where it all began, where John the Baptist's ministry started and where he ministered, where Jesus was baptized by John, Jesus returns to the beginning. Three years have gone by. He's at the pinnacle of his fame, of his notoriety, and he returns to Perea where it all began, and his ministry is thriving. By the hundreds, even by the thousands, people are coming to hear him and, and, and listen to him and maybe be healed, see a miracle, or, or experience something amazing. And along with those people came parents, and they came with their kids, and they wanted Jesus to bless their kids. You know, uh, one of my childhood idols is John Wooden, the, coach of the, the, old, the former coach of the UCLA basketball team, Coach Wooden. He was uh, someone my dad greatly admired and I grew up hearing about and I learned to greatly admire. Not just because of his incredible coaching ability, his win streak, uh, you know, all of the accomplishments that he did, but because of who he was, very faithful, a deeply religious man, very, very uh, man of incredible character, taught so many things and so many lessons. To this day, people read his books and, and would go and hear him speak when he was still living. Just an incredible person. And several years ago, I got the opportunity to meet him. A friend of mine knew his grandchildren and gave me tickets to a UCLA game. <clears throat> and I went to the game and took my son Hunter. And we sat in the same section as Coach Wooden. And when the time was right, there was a break in the action. We went down to meet him. He signed a, 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 you know, a UCLA hat for me. I introduced him to my son. And it was so special to have my son meet Coach Wooden. Like any parent, when you have someone you idolize, someone you, you revere, you, 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 you uh, look up to, you want your kids to meet them. And it was such a special time for me. And what was even cooler was Coach Wooden asked Hunter to come and sit with him. And they sat together for several minutes of the game. And they talked and they had an amazing time together. And I remember just being so in awe. I didn't watch the game. I just stared at the back of his head and my son, Hunter. And I was just so excited that he got to meet someone that I so greatly revered, someone that I considered great. And that is what's happening here. Parents are bringing their kids to Jesus because he was someone great. He was someone important, and they wanted him to just touch them, to just bless them, to just have a small conversation with them. And the disciples were rebuking them for doing that. You know, I don't know 
all the reasons why the disciples did that. The text doesn't tell us, but I think we can guess. My guess is they were probably worried about Jesus and his energy. He was expending a lot of energy. A lot was going on. He was having important talks. He was doing important things. And then these parents were bringing their kids, and they, they may have thought it was too much. Maybe it was a nuisance, and they were trying to, to shut it down to help Jesus. I know with Coach Wooden, when we were at the game, he was in his 90s. And they had just recently made rules in Pauley Pavilion that you could only go and talk to him at certain times. Because for years, he sat in the same spot, and anyone at any time would go and talk to him, and he would talk to them, he'd sign an autograph. He was an amazing person. But they finally were like, look, he's 92. We got to slow it down a little bit. Maybe the disciples felt that way. Maybe the disciples were just annoyed because they were tired. I don't know the reasons, and it doesn't really matter. What I do know is that Jesus rebuked the disciples. It says he was indignant, and that word indignant means with great grief. He was sad and angry that the disciples would stop parents from bringing their kids to meet him. You know, one of my joys that I've gotten out of going through Mark like this is just the, 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 the it, it, you know, week in and week out, I do my own personal study, and it's allowed me to get deeper and deeper into the, into the text. And I, I keep adding to the background of what I know. And I think in looking at this text, based on all the study and all the looking at that, that I've done and, and the teaching on it that I've done, I think I have a pretty good couple of ideas why Jesus was so sad and so angry at the disciples, why he was indignant at them. The first reason I really think Jesus got upset was because they lacked, the, 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 the disciples lacked love, lacked, they had a lack of love and value for children. Children in that society had no status. They were of no importance and yet the disciples had been with Jesus for three years, and they had seen him repeatedly over time take care of children and put an emphasis and a focus on children. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, before this, Jesus said, let the children come. Welcome them. And here are the disciples devaluing the importance of children. Maybe even of the parents wanting their children to meet Jesus. I think secondly, I think Jesus was disappointed in their lack of spirituality. Now I want to talk about spirituality for a second. What do we mean when we say spirituality? I don't know about you, but I hear the word, it's thrown around a lot, and I almost feel like it doesn't have any meaning anymore. It's just a word we use. And there's so many different meanings that people pour into it. So I'm going to propose a new definition for our lesson today of the word spirituality. And are you ready? Because here it is. I think spirituality is the same thing as, as knowing what Jesus would do in any given situation. That, that you act and think as Jesus would act and think. In other words, we get it. You know people who don't get it. 
maybe on the job. They don't understand what the job is really about, and they don't get it. And you, and you work with these people, and you get frustrated. Like, you don't get it. You don't know what we're doing, right? Or you're on the sports team, or you're in school, and there's kids and, and fellow people that you know that don't get it, and you get frustrated. Well, I think the same is true in the Christian world. and in, in, the, in, in the idea of following Jesus, there's an element where you, you either get it or you don't. You either adopt the way Jesus thought and acted, or you don't. And that's what I want to call spiritual. That's how I define it. And in this case, the disciples, they weren't getting it. After three years and very specific teaching about children and the importance of children and letting people come, they just didn't get it. They didn't think and act the way Jesus would have thought, the way Jesus thought and acted. So Jesus orders them. He finally says, let them come and do not hinder them. You know, when we are unspiritual, when we don't get it, we actually hinder people from coming to know Jesus. Not only do you hinder yourself, but you're hindering others. And Jesus gets indignant at that. If you're not who you are, who you say you are this morning, and you go to school, and you say you're a Christian, and you go to school or work, and you act like someone else, shame on you. You're hindering people. You're in the way. You deserve to be rebuked and, 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 and admonished to get it, to, that we're not trying to be someone on Sunday and then someone different Monday through Saturday. That's not what being a Christian is all about. It's about thinking and acting the way Jesus would act. So things like sin reveal the level in which we get it. Our selfishness, our arrogance, our criticalness, our hypocrisy, all of these things, when they come out of us, they reveal areas in which we don't get it. And at the end of the day, we end up hindering people from coming to know Jesus. But there's another way that we can hinder people. And that is our, our love of the status quo. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I want everything to stay the same. I want no changes. I want to go and have, I, I, I have a routine. I'm, I'm turning into that guy. I have a routine. I get up twice a week and I go early to a certain restaurant because they have a very cheap breakfast. At the same time, I get the same booth and if someone's in my booth, I'm irritated the entire time that I'm at the restaurant and I sit there for a couple hours and work on my messages or, have, or, or meditate on scripture. But it's my alone time and I want it to be the same every time. And maybe there's some good in that. I believe in regularity. I believe in routine. But, but, but when the routine gets in the way, when it becomes the status quo, it does hinder my ability to be spiritual. Think about what Jesus was dealing with for three years uh, in, in our study of Mark, and how many times the religious leaders, the Pharisees, teachers of law, the scribes, they came to him and they were bothered because he was changing things. He was confronting their hypocrisy. He was challenging the status quo, confronting their lack of spirituality, challenging their need for regularity or sameness, and they were bothered by it. I think we get that way. How many... How many people in here are sitting in the same seat they sat in last week, the week before, the week after? How often do we do? I mean, that's just one small area. 
I want to encourage you next Sunday, sit in a different seat. Not a different seat, a whole different row. As a matter of fact, try a whole new section. We have three sections. Try changing it up. Don't get crazy. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't get crazy. But it's so easy for us to want to just fall into routine and, 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 and the status quo can just take us away from, from real spirituality. You know, I want to uh, just thank Gio for not being a guy who followed the status quo. Gio and Karen. You know, the last couple years have been quite a whirlwind for our two churches, the Simi and the Shoreline Church. And there was a lot of status quo changing that went on. We, we launched Simi Church, which for, for us was a huge change. And then we merged with Shoreline, then we relaunched Shoreline. But not only that, but then we changed our whole leadership dynamic where we opened the funnel. We, we encourage everyone to be a part of what we're doing. And, and, and many people have jumped on board and are, are serving in various, what we call champions. They, you know, they serve in various ministries as champions. That's all. That's a big change in what we did before. It was much more one guy kind of made all the decisions and, and gave the marching orders and everybody else followed it. But we've, we've changed the status quo. And that was a big shift for the Garces. It was a big shift for us. And I appreciate that they've jumped on it, that they loved it, that they supported it. It gave me a lot of security and encouragement because it was a big change for me. And I want to say thank you to you because you jumped on board too. We do our worship differently. We, we've, we've done a lot of changing, a lot of status quo breaking up. And I think that's been a good thing for us. I think we've elevated the getting it of following Jesus. At least that's what we're trying to do. That's the goal. That's the attempt. You know, as we end this year, one of my, one of my plans is to not change much until next year. And the reason why is because we've changed so much already, let's just get used to it. And that's okay. Let's get used to it. Let's make sure it works. Let's make sure it's grooved. But, but you know, 2018, I really want to talk about addressing the status quo again. I really want to push, and Gio, right there with me, we really want to push us into new ground, new territory. And the thing that's on our minds right now as, we, as we're thinking about 2018 is rhythm. What do I mean by rhythm? I mean ministry schedule. Every ministry has a schedule in our church. I want to know if the schedule is helpful or hurtful. I want to be able to look at it and ask the hard question and find out what do we need to do differently. I know one thing that's popped up in my head and it's become very clear is that every ministry has a different schedule. It's not one size fits all. The teen ministry has a schedule, but that's different than the junior high. The junior high has a schedule that's different than the campus. The campus has the one that's different from the singles. The singles have one that's different from the marrieds. And instead of one blanket schedule for everyone, maybe we need to push against the status quo, and maybe we need to think about what rhythms work for each specific ministry. At the end of the day, the goal, and I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart, and, and, and I know Gio and, and Karen are right there with Lynette and I. From the bottom of our heart, the goal is one thing. We don't want to hinder anyone. We don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone coming to know Jesus. 
Verse 15, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So Jesus, in direct contrast to what the disciples were doing, with his indignation, this anger mixed with sadness, he reaches down and he starts grabbing the children. He starts taking them into his arms. And he's doing this very purposely. He's trying to show them physically what it looks like to value the children and to be spiritual, to get what he sees, to be like him. And he says something really powerful. He says, unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Audience participation. When you think about that statement, become like a child, what qualities of children do you think Jesus had in mind? And feel free, just blurt them out. Yeah. Completely trust. Blind obedience. Easy to lead. Lots of energy coming from a child. I love that. Matt. Joyfulness. Innocence. Oh, another one. They want to learn. Somebody said humble. We could go on and on and on, right? I mean, there's so many great qualities that we can learn from children. It's why we want the children to be part of our church as well. We include them in the worship. They help doing the ushering. They're sitting in service at least once a month to be a part of the worship. We want, to, we want this to be a shared experience. There's things we can learn and benefit from each other. There were three that came to my mind in my meditation, very similar to some of what you already said. The first one is that concept. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Children have no status. They had no status in the ancient world. My friend Marty did a message, and I love the phrase he used. He called it creature consciousness. The idea was is having an awareness of where you really stand before the Lord. Without status. I mean, at the end of the day, when we go stand before God, we suddenly realize our lack of status. It becomes very uh, glaringly clear. And what does that do? What does that lead to? It leads to a willingness to be led. The second thing that jumped out at me was dependent. Children easily entrust themselves to the care of others. And thirdly, what jumped out at me was receptive. They're teachable. They're open-minded. You know, when I was meditating on these qualities, I realized that the older I get, the less I'm like these things. That for some reason, the, the maturing process of becoming a man or an adult, man or woman, you actually start to lose these God-given qualities. And they are God-given, but we start to lose them. Because we, 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 we feel like we have status. I mean, half of the conflicts I have is because someone has challenged my status. I feel offended. I get talked to a certain way, or I get addressed a certain way, and I'm, suddenly I'm, I'm ready to fight back. Because I, I think I'm someone. And I lose my creature consciousness. I lose my awareness of where I stand before God. I think it's harder and harder to want to trust others the older you get. You get let down, you get let down, you get let down. It becomes harder to trust. And so I, I, I become less and less dependent. In fact, I want to be independent. And there's a, there is a point where we do mature and we need to take care of our own business age appropriately. But, but Jesus is talking about kind of a spiritual dependency, a willingness to entrust to the leadership of others or the care of others. And then receptivity. It just gets harder and harder to be receptive. 
all of us go through this. And we have to work at it. They're God-given qualities, but guess what? If you don't practice them, if you don't intentionally try to become them, they won't develop in your life. I'm grateful for the people in my life. My wife, she helps me remember my status. <laughs> I know where I stand in the pecking order in our house. And I live with my mom, so it's even a double whammy. She's <laughs> got two of them keeping me in check. But I've got people in my life, many of the people here in this room. It's, it's, it's a, a sincere desire of mine that everyone in this room, whether you're in leadership or not, whether, whether you feel important or not, that, that you have a place to speak up and share your thoughts. It's why a couple times a year we have an open conversation and we let people weigh in. I don't know if you know this, but even on our website, we have a form called Connect. If you go to the website, at the bottom of that form, it says, if you have any suggestions, let us know. And we take that seriously. It doesn't just go to delete. It actually comes and we read it. We, me, Gio and I, we talk about it. We have other ministry-specific meetings where we invite other people in to weigh in. The champions weigh in. Then I have people that I'm just close to over the years, relationships. Gio is a huge influence on me. And I'm really grateful for that. But then I've got... Ron Quint and Jerry Sugarman over me in the Lord, uh, people that I, I, I get with regularly. We have a whole team in our family of churches. We call it the North Region, but we have all the ministers. We get together regularly. We help each other. I feel great about having authority and being under authority because it helps me maintain a childlike attitude. Let me ask you a question. Who's over you? Who's under you? Who's with you? Who's your circle? Who's helping you? Remember your status. Encouraging you to be dependent and receptive. Who's your circle? I really want to encourage every member of our church, and if you're visiting, to ask about it. But it is tremendous when you have great people in your life around you to help you find this balance to maintain this childlike spirit. In a word, we call it discipleship. That's the idea. Now, we had some, some old ways of thinking about discipleship that we've, we've learned from and we've tried to change. We used to think it was very linear, was one person helped another person, but now we've matured. We realize it's actually more 360. It's actually a, a circle of people around you. If you haven't invested in your own discipleship, I want to beg you, I want to encourage you, I want to plead with you, do so, and do so soon. Don't leave without even today talking to someone and establishing some sort of rapport where you can have a good, healthy relationship, and they can help you. We all need help. We're all aging. We're all maturing. We're all kind of getting crusty around the edges. And we need discipleship in our lives. He says that he took the children and he blessed them. Now that phrase, blessed them, actually in the Greek is this funny word, katologian. And it, and it means literally he blessed them fervently. I don't know what that looks like, but he was doing it fervently. And all I know is he was doing it on purpose. He was making a point to the disciples. Don't stop them. 
Don't get in the way. Get him over here, and I'm going to bust you, son. You're an awesome son. I, mean, I don't know what he was doing, but he was making it intense because he was making a point. The poor kids were like, oh, okay, Jesus, yeah. I mean, he was blessing them fervently. Why the urgency? Why the fervency? Because becoming like a child is not an option if you want to go to heaven. That's why he was fervent. He says it very clearly. You will never enter the kingdom of God if you remain hardened and you don't allow yourself to be softened. And these disciples had been with him for three years and they were still not getting it. What did he have to do? He blessed these kids fervently to make the point If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to become childlike. I want to thank you. Because overall, for the past two years, as a whole, I think we've followed. We've been pretty childlike. I think we've worked this whole thing together. And it's been pretty incredible to see what God has done. To see Simi Church alive and thriving and people getting baptized and children in our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our church getting baptized and people coming together and working together. And we have a junior high ministry, a high school ministry. We're working on the married ministry. We have campus, all that. It's coming together. And then we relaunched a whole other church and they're doing the same thing. It's been really great. We are so capable of this. And we have been all along this past couple years, and I want to thank you, every one of you. But I think we got to keep going further. We can't settle. And maybe the, the, the frontier for us now is just in our personal dynamic, in our personal connection, in our personal balance, childlikeness. Maybe we need to focus on discipleship for the next few months. It's why we changed the midweek. So that we can focus on the men and then the women and we can alternate each week. Because we really want to go deeper. And we really want to develop these healthy, have authority, under authority type relationships. And I know that if we do that, God is going to bless us. 2018 is going to be incredible. I have no idea what God's going to do. But I know it's going to be great if we're childlike. So the man that stopped at the monastery and really wanted to know what that sound was, he had to become a monk before he could find out what the sound was. If we really want to experience becoming like Jesus, we're going to have to become like Jesus. Don't forget next Sunday, we're going to be at the park, 9.30 a.m., Rancho Madera, the Sunday